Friends, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're in a series called Five on Five. Uh, we're looking at five lessons uh, from each of the first five books of the Bible. And today we are beginning our last and fifth book, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, now, just as a quick overview, the book of Deuteronomy um, means second law. Now, this isn't a giving of another law. Um, but what's happening in the book of Deuteronomy is that uh, the original Israelite generation that left Egypt to enter the promised land, they've disobeyed God. They've broken covenant faithfulness with him. And so uh, they will not inherit the land. And so what Moses does in order to prepare the next generation to inherit the land is he enters into covenant renewal. He calls them again to obedience. He calls them to faithfulness to God and to his law before they inherit this new land. And so uh, that's what the book of Deuteronomy is about um, as sort of an overview. And so as we hear and spend the next five weeks in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll hear these themes again and again, themes to remember, themes to obey, themes to uh, be faithful. This morning, we're looking at Deuteronomy 1 verses 19 to 33. The sermon is entitled, A Lesson in Gospel Amnesia. And so if you are able, I invite you to stand with me. We stand because it is an act of worship as we read God's word and receive God's word, because by standing we show reverence for God and his word. Hear it now, Deuteronomy 1, beginning with verse 19. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw, on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out, and they took it in their hands, and they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us, and brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than me. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness. You have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day to show you by what way you should go. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. Dear friends, would you pray with me once more? Lord, as we come now to this portion of Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy, we pray for 
your Holy Spirit, to speak to us the words we need to hear. Uh, Father, you've inspired this word given to uh, not only the Israelites, but given to us. Um, but it takes your Spirit who illumines our hearts and grants us understanding so that uh, in faith we can respond. By faith we can see and hear and feel, Lord, uh, the very way in which uh, you, the living God, are speaking to your people. And so may this time be good for us, good for our souls, as we hear now your word and the gospel preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you ever find yourself with this struggle? You want to remember certain things, but you tend to forget. And the things you don't want to remember, those are the things you remember. Uh, sometimes you're fighting, maybe with a friend, a spouse, and in that moment, all the good things about them just seem to escape your mind. You can't remember them, and only the bad things seem to flood your mind. That's all you can remember about them. Uh, or maybe something uh, much more uh, innocent than that. You remember unnecessary things, but you forget necessary things. Uh, every once in a while, I know that a certain song uh, will come up on the radio, a song from my youth, a uh, Spice Girls song, a Puff Daddy song, and without even trying, I just the, the, the lyrics just come back and I, and I sing along or you know, I rap along, and um, it takes no effort. But then there are times that I'm feeling out of form and I need to write my social security number, and I can't for the sake of me remember past the first three digits. Sometimes you remember unnecessary things, you seem to forget the necessary things. We can remember whole dialogues from movies and then forget where we put our keys just an hour before. It's a common occurrence to forget certain things. And unfortunately, that carries into our spiritual lives, doesn't it? We forget these most important, foundational, fundamental spiritual truths. And we live, live as if they don't exist. And this is what I want to call gospel amnesia this morning. It's just another way of describing those moments in our lives where we forget the gospel. We don't live as if it's true. We live as if who God is and what he's done is, is irrelevant to our lives. It's something that every Christian goes through. We all experience this in some degree. Now, we experience gospel and amnesia in various circumstances, various examples. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy is giving us one in particular, uh, especially this chapter. And the very relatable scene it's laying out for us is uh, those times in life when problems, when obstacles in life, they just seem so big that we forget the truth and we live in a discouraged, defeated way. Do you ever feel that? You just experience um, situations in life, scenarios that just are so overwhelming that you feel powerless and helpless. Uh, maybe you feel isolated, uh, alone, abandoned. Maybe you feel frightened or frustrated. You lose sight of the truth. And in that moment, you're just so overwhelmed at your own helplessness and your own powerlessness. Um, if this is you, welcome to the family. Not just to my family, but welcome to this long line of history and folks in history like Israel who have experienced gospel amnesia because that's what we see happening today. Israel forgetting, but not only forgetting, but focusing on the wrong things. That's our point of meditation today. Our one sentence summary, just what I'd like you to think through. Gospel amnesia is not just a problem of forgetting the right things, but also focusing on the wrong things. When you forget the gospel, when you lose sight of the gospel, you're not only forgetting right things, you're focusing actually on the wrong things. 
So uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy begins, and the first four chapters is what's called a historical prologue. Uh, what that means is Moses uh, is looking back on the past 40 years of Israel's experience, of Israel's history, of Israel's uh, wandering in the wilderness. And he begins recounting back as far as 40 years. So we read in verse 19 these words. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. Now, Horeb is just another name for Mount Sinai. And if you remember when God led Israel out of Egypt, he led them to Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. He gives them the law of God. And so Moses saying, remember from Mount Sinai, when you left, you traveled through the wilderness and you actually reached the territory right outside the promised land. They actually got to uh, the threshold of the land of Canaan, but then they didn't enter it. And the question is why? Why didn't they? Something must have happened where they were right there about to take possession, but then they didn't receive it for another 40 years. And in fact, the original generation didn't even receive it. It was the second generation. Just imagine being in their shoes where the promise of God is right at your fingertips and yet you can't grasp it. Just a few weeks ago, we had a package sent to the church and I had the tracking number. I knew it was coming that day. I came to church. I was waiting in the office and then I receive a notice on my phone. I look at it and it says, delivery attempt has been made. So I run downstairs and there I see that dreaded UPS sticky note. Sorry, we missed you. And I don't know about you, but, but those moments are so incredibly frustrating because it was right there. It was, it was 20 steps down from my office. It was ready to be given to me. I was ready to receive it. And yet, because I didn't hear the knock and I didn't obey the knock, I didn't receive what was coming. Now, through various other complications, that was a week and a half ago when that delivery attempt was made and I still haven't received the package. The package is wandering the wilderness. Can you imagine how Israel must have felt in that moment? Finally, after hundreds of years of God making this promise to Abraham and then people waiting for the promise to receive the land, it's right there at their fingertips. They are here at Kadesh Barnea. They're about to enter and yet something happens. They can see it. They've literally tasted it and yet it escapes them. And 40 years pass and they still haven't entered the land. What happened? Israel had gospel amnesia. They forgot what they were supposed to remember. They focused on the wrong things. You see, when they show up at the land, God gives them clear instructions. Verse 21, see, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Go up, take the land. It's right here. It's on a silver platter. And yet Israel doesn't respond in faith and obedience. Instead, they're hesitant. They're unsure. So what do they actually request in verse 22? God says, go, but they say, let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up in the cities into which we shall come. What, what's happening? God's saying, go get the land. They're saying, wait a minute. Can we draw up our plans first? God says, go up, get it by faith. They're saying, no, can we go and test it out by sight? Why spy out the land if God has already promised them the victory. You know why? It's because Israel thought that the success of the mission was actually up to them. They thought, oh, what we really need is a scouting report. 
What we need is a well-executed strategy. That's how we're going to get the land. They weren't believing the simple promise of God saying, go get it. It's yours. And so Moses says, okay, that sounds good to me. Why don't you get representatives? They go, and then they finally get the fruit of the land. They bring it back. Everybody eats it, and they conclude in verse 25, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. They weren't believing it by faith like God told them to. They were believing it by sight as they wanted. But then there's another hiccup. Because now they're excited. They're saying, okay, the land is good. I do want to go into it. We do want to possess it. But they don't. Imagine that. Have you ever been driving and you're following your, your Google Maps or whatever map navigation system you have, and the destination is right there. You see the building in the distance. You take one, long, wrong, one wrong turn, and the ETA now turns to 40 years later. That's exactly what's happening in Israel. The land is right there. What happened? Well, we're actually told, verse 26, yet you would not go up. You disobeyed, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. The fruit was good, but Israel didn't go. Why? Because they were crippled with fear. Although they tasted of the fruit, they were now crippled with fear because they had great spiritual memory loss. They forgot. Look at verse 24, Moses says, And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the land of the Amorites, to the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Those are some strong words. What did they forget? They forgot all that God had done for them. They forgot the 10 plagues he cast over the Egyptians. He forgot the angel of death that passed over their door. He for, they forgot the favor God had given them to the Egyptian masters so that he could plunder them. They forgot how God had split the Red Sea open. They forgot how we drowned Pharaoh and his enemies. They forgot the provision of water from a rock. They forgot the manna that came from the heavens. They forgot the cloud that followed them and led them by day. They forgot the fire that led them by night. They forgot, poof, in that moment, everything God had done for them was forgotten. And all that's left is a stinging accusation because the Lord hated us. How could they say such a thing about a loving God? How could they have experienced his faithfulness from saving them and sustaining them now in this moment saying, oh, God hates us? Well, it's because they were so overwhelmed at the present that they forgot about the past. They're so overwhelmed at what they were experiencing in the present that they forgot about his faithfulness in the past. Now, it's easy to judge Israel, but we're just like this, aren't we? And some of you can relate to this experience. Uh, when you were a kid, did you ever have bad indigestion? Or nod, nod your head if you ever uh, had bad indigestion, went to your parents, uh, and they took out a sewing thread, tied it around your thumb, pricked it with the needle, and the blackest blood came out. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm not describing voodoo. Uh, <laughs> I'm describing what Asian parents would do to, to help you feel better. Well, in that moment, your, your parent is concerned. They want you to feel relief, and so they do this. But as a kid, all you see is a needle and feel the pain and see the blood, and you start thinking, why are they doing this to me? They scream. They cry. All that the parent had done for them in their entire lives up in that moment is forgotten about because you're so overwhelmed with the pain of the present. That's exactly what's going on in Israel. That's why on the one hand, they say, it is a good land that God, the Lord God is giving us. And then the next day, turn around because the Lord hated us. 
He has brought us out of the land of Egypt. What happened? The, the present circumstances were so looming. They were so large that Israel forgot what they needed to remember. But there was only one part of the problem. You know what the other part of the problem was? They began focusing on the wrong things. Because what it actually says next in verse 28 is their response. They say, where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. When you read this, and I say, what is Israel focusing on that's wrong? You're tempted to say, well, they're focusing too much on other people. They should be focusing on God, but they're focusing on people. But that's not what the text is saying. Gospel amnesia didn't happen because they lost sight of God by focusing on others or obstacles. Gospel amnesia happened because they lost sight of God by focusing too much on themselves. You see, you might think that fear struck the Israelites because the people were so great and tall. That's not exactly why fear struck the Israelites. The text actually says, the people are greater and taller than we. It's comparative. They looked at the people. They looked at their size and their stature. Then they looked at themselves and they felt overwhelmed. You see, because they focus on themselves, because they focus on how little they measure it up, the size and stature of these people and the smallness of us, they were so overwhelmed that they admitted defeat before they even went to battle. You see, not only did they forget the right things, they actually focused on the wrong things. Because it really shouldn't have mattered how big the people were, how much bigger they were than Israel. It shouldn't have mattered at all. What should have mattered was how much smaller they were than God. After all, it wasn't by Israel's power that they left Egypt, that they defeated the armies, they crossed the Red Sea, or survived in the desert. So then why did it matter in that moment who was bigger or smaller? Because Israel was smaller than Egypt, but God had delivered them. You see, when focused on themselves, they said about the enemies, the people are greater and taller than we. But they should have focused on God and said, the people are still smaller and shorter than the Red Sea. They should have kept their focus on God, not on themselves. Because if they focused on God, they would have focused on his power and his might, not on the size of their army or the strength of their armor. It makes us really ask this question, friends. In those moments um, that you experience where, where life is hard, um, things seem too heavy to carry, too big to handle, too much to take on, where are you looking? Do you feel a great sense of inadequacy and woe and discouragement and defeat. Oh, this is too much, too great, too big for me. Forgetting the gospel because you're looking at yourself as the reference point. Yeah, they may be too big, too much, and too great for you, but they certainly not for God. Are you looking to him to be your confidence and your courage? Do you know what it means to find safety and security in him and not in yourself, your own abilities, your own strength, your own power, your own intellect, your own wisdom to figure things out. And consider this. Have you ever driven on the highway and you're in the middle lane 
and you see a car coming up on the left, you see a car coming up from the right, and you're expecting them to pass you, but they come up to you, and they just pull right up to your right and to your left, and they match the speed. It's a really frustrating thing, isn't it? And you want to do what? Press the brake and let them go by, or you want to accelerate, but somehow a car comes up behind you, so you can't press the brake? A car's in front of you, you can't accelerate, now you feel stuck, you feel trapped. It's a scary situation, especially as the highway begins to turn, you're, you're worried that they'll creep into your lane. We've all experienced something like this. What, what relieves the ease you feel or what increases the stress and worry you feel in that situation? Well, if you're stuck, it has nothing to do with your driving ability. You can't get out of it. I know for me, what makes me feel more at ease in that kind of situation is whose car I'm in, the size of the car I'm in. I drive an SUV, and so I'm higher off the ground. It's a bigger car. So when I'm in that situation, generally I can kind of look over and see the rest of the road, and I feel a bit of you know, comfort in that. Uh, when I'm in my wife's car, I'm six inches off the ground, and I'm looking up, and even you know, Priuses seem like large trucks, and I can't see beyond it. See, what matters is not my ability, my ability, by my ability, I can't get out of that situation. What helps me is the strength and the size of the vehicle I'm in. You know who doesn't ever worry when they're on the road, whether cars pull up to them or not? Truck drivers. Those who drive those big rigs, 18-wheelers. And if a car hits them, it's like uh, bumper cars. It's like gnats getting in the way. You see, in the same way, Israel, they forgot they were entering the land of Canaan by God's strength and his power, not their own. They forgot that they were entering the promised land in the spiritual equivalent of a semi-truck, a big rig, because they were entering the land by God's promise in God's hand. Let me ask you, in the moments when you feel overwhelmed at life, when things are pressing and draining, do you find yourself ever saying, I can't handle it? I can't take this on. I, I don't have the energy. I don't have the power. I don't, I don't have the strength to deal with this. Perhaps you are focusing too much on yourself and not enough on the Lord. You know, sometimes we experience suffering. Needless, senseless things. Things we can't explain and understand. We're, we're drowning in an ocean. We're lost in the dark. We're walking through the fire. And we can't make sense of it with our own intellect, with our own wisdom. But when we lean on ourselves, our conclusion is often something like this. If I can't find a good reason for this, then there must not be a good reason. It's gospel amnesia. You're focusing on the wrong thing. Suffering doesn't have to make sense to you. As long as God sees it and he has purposes for it beyond your understanding. We not only forget the right things, we focus on the wrong things. Moses knows this. And so he's able to look at the same facts, the same situation as Israel. And whereas they only saw obstacles, he sees opportunities. So what does he say? He focuses on God, so he encourages them in verses 29 to 31. Do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness. He says, focus on God. Who is God? The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you. And how do I know that? Because of what he's done, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness. Moses is telling the Israelites, don't look out at the situation. Don't look in at yourself, but look up at your Savior. Look back at your salvation. 
In your toughest, darkest, hardest moments, what are you focusing on? When issues are pressing on your heart and they are so heavy on the soul, don't focus on its weight. Don't focus on your weakness. Focus on God's strength for you. When a problem is so confusing, don't focus on its complexity. Don't focus on your ignorance. Focus on God's wisdom. When you're struggling with sin and temptation, don't focus on its power. Don't focus on your inability. Focus on God's grace. Why? Because of who God is and what he has done. Who is God? Verse 31, you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. As a man carries his son, who is that? That is a father. God is a loving, caring father who bore Israel upon himself to lead them out of Egypt and through the wilderness. If he was willing to save and sustain Israel, what is there that he's not willing to do for his people? If he was willing to carry them out of slavery and through the desert, where was he not willing to carry them? A few weeks ago, um, when I was in Colorado speaking and preaching at a, at a conference, I had a few days afterwards, uh, Eunice came with me, and so we decided to make... Um, uh, the, you know, some use of our time there. And so we drove out to the Rocky Mountain, to Rocky Mountain National Park and we picked the easiest trail we can find, um, the most manageable, but still uh, that trail was at 9,000 feet above sea level. So even the easiest was pretty grueling. Um, and, we, you know, I'm not ashamed to admit it, within 10 minutes, we were already off on the side. We were huffing and we were puffing. And while we were, you know, just trying to collect our breath, we saw a bunch of these families coming by, and these dads that had these giant child carrier backpacks on, right? And they were carrying not like infants, but like toddlers uh, up this mountain. And I, I looked at Eunice and I said, don't you ever make me do that. <laughs> I will not. If they have two feet, they're walking. Um, but what are these fathers doing? They're carrying their children up a 9,000 foot above sea level mountain. They're doing the work. They're sweating. They're laboring. They're carrying the burden so that they would get to the top. They would take their child off and the child would get to enjoy the work that the father had done. That's the picture here, what we see in Deuteronomy 1. God's love for his people. God, the loving, caring father, carried Israel on his back out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the wilderness, to the threshold of the promise that lets them out and now says, you get to enjoy the fruit of the work that I've done. Who is God? He is a strong, loving, caring, protecting father. And Israel had forgotten that. So Moses exhorts him, remember who God is and what he has done. But you know what? Here's the thing. What are you called to remember? Are you supposed to look back and remember what God did for Israel? No, because what God did for Israel in that moment of history was just a foreshadow, a type that was actually pointing to a greater redemption, a greater salvation, a greater deliverance that he would do for his people. And it was greater in all these ways because he was delivering us from a greater enslavement. Not slavery to Egypt, but slavery to sin. And in that greater redemption, he delivered us to a greater promise. You see, this story in Deuteronomy is actually pointing to what God would do in Jesus Christ. And how just as God had flexed his muscles and displayed his power 
and delivering them and saving them from Egypt and sustaining them through the wilderness, that pointed to how God ultimately displayed his power for the world to see. We see it most clearly in two ways. We see the power of God on display as Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, breaking the grip of sin over us, removing the condemnation of its guilt upon us. And we see it most beautifully evidenced in the resurrection of Jesus who triumphed over evil and conquered death when he was raised from the dead three days later. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. So we look to that power. We lean on that power. You see, friends, if you're not looking to God, if you're not leaning on God, what are you looking to? What are you leaning on? Are you looking to discover maybe some inner fortitude, some resiliency in yourself? Are you hoping to summon internal grit? Maybe some of you recite and rehearse the mantra again and again, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. You try to hype yourself up to overcome these things. Maybe some of you have a great sense of your inadequacy. And so what you're doing is you're turning to friends and you're turning to spouses and you're turning them to idols because you're making them your refuge and your shelter and your fortress and saying, you save me. You be my anchor. You keep me still in the storm. And when we do this, we're living in gospel amnesia because we're not only forgetting the right things, we're focusing on the wrong things. But here God comes and he shows his power in his gospel. And he corrects us because remembering the gospel is not just remembering the power of God in your salvation. It's not just remembering his saving power. Remembering the gospel is remembering his sustaining power. You see, when we talk about remember the gospel, so many people think, oh, what it means to remember the gospel is to just think about what God did for me on the cross 2,000 years ago. And if I just remember my salvation again and again and again and again, that's going to help me now. But that doesn't work. Have you ever had marital issues? Have you ever had some problems with your spouse? What's the solution to that? You go back and watch your wedding video again and again and again and again and again. And again. No, that doesn't make you more grateful. That makes you more bitter. Why aren't you as skinny as you were back then? Remembering the gospel is not simply looking back and remembering and remembering and remembering over and over again. Remembering the gospel is acknowledging again and again this fundamental truth. What you could never do for yourself God graciously took it upon himself to do for you. That's at the core of the gospel. What you were insufficient and inadequate to do, what you could not do for yourself, God in his grace, love, and mercy did for you. Now in history, what does that mean? That meant when you couldn't redeem yourself, he saved you. When you couldn't atone for your sins, he forgave you. When you couldn't be righteous, he justified you. When you couldn't clean yourself up, he sanctified you. God did all of these things for you because you could not do them for yourself. But in remembering the gospel, you're not just remembering what he did for you, you're remembering who he is. The God of the gospel is the one who continues even now graciously to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Not just back then, but even now. Which means this very day, whatever it is you're going through, in your weakness, he is your strength. In your foolishness, he is your wisdom. In your poverty, he is your riches. In your darkness, he is your light. In your sin, he is your righteousness. In your death, he is your life. Remembering the gospel is not just remembering, oh, he did this for me back then, but the God who did this for me back then, he is this kind of God. He is here for me today. Oh, dear friends, 
it is certain you will face brokenness that seems irreparable, obstacles that seem insurmountable, difficulties that seem unmovable, troubles that seem inescapable, situations that seem unchangeable, predicaments that seem unsolvable. That is life. But when you do, you can either focus on how great they are and big they are and how powerless and helpless they make you feel, or you could focus on the God who has carried you and who promises to fight for you. You know, it's an okay feeling to realize that the things in life are too big, too great, and too much for me, so long as you know they're not too great, too big, and too much for God. Because Christ has come into the world. He has shown his power in his life and death. So listen for his voice when he says to you, take heart, I have overcome the world. The world that you can't measure up to, the world that you can't overcome, take heart, I have done it. And in our response, we hope in him. And the one who has carried us, the one who promises to never let go. Let's pray.